You're listening to Heart of the Hunter, a serialized fantasy novel set in Koronai, the magical country. The story was written and performed by Sam Chubb. For more information about this podcast, including upcoming role-playing game releases associated with this novel, check out heartofthehunter.com. Now, please enjoy Heart of the Hunter. Chapter 21 House Tanuvia was only an hour away from their last campsite. As Peter started to note fortifications and towers along the track, he immediately realized that the manor's location along the border road would make it a royal garrison, that the Lunargenti regular army would use it as a patrol station. The somber band rode forward through a light drizzle as the morning continued to fail to produce much light, but soon House Tenuviel emerged from the morning fog. It was a sprawling series of buildings, linked together by walkway, enclosed corridor, or perhaps even tunnel. The land formed natural earthworks here, with a natural dip cut in the side of the earth to admit one road in only. Towers made of silver oak wood rose up out of the forest around the place, extending the sight distance for miles in all directions. On days, the forest mist didn't rise. This place was hidden from the patrol road by the surrounding trees, and the road to it was little more than a plankless trail, one that offered some difficulty to the caravan wagons due to the continuous wet mud and sludge. It was slow going, but many men of House Tenuviel showed up and lent a hand to keep the wagons moving, and before long they were pulling through another set of stout wooden gates into a stable yard. Their horses' ears pricked up, and they moved with alacrity towards the waiting, warm, dry stables with their bales of sweet, dry hay, and perhaps even bags of oats. The mercenaries were aided in the untacking of the horses by swarms of young Lunargenti boys who bent to their work with practiced surety, though many stole curious glances at the newcomers. Ordered by Sir Valadane, some strong men were summoned to carry Arran to the healer's hall, while others were told to take the body of Gar to a sheltered outdoor fire pit, as Dav requested. While rooms were being made ready for them, Peter, Raven, and Alobar were shown to the cider house to get out of the rain. A wood fire in the stone hearth here took the sting out of the damp, and the spicy cider smell of the place was rich and beautiful. Hanging on a wall was a tapestry showing County Tenuvial lands and surrounds. Peter saw many smaller fiefs were contained in the county, with names like Shallowdale, Wolf Run, Dun Creek, and so forth. Here you are, some fresh cider for each of you. Not as good as Rosewood's, but passing fair. I hope you like it. My brother is the brewer here. My wife and child also live within Tenuville, as do many of those who work the land around this place. Have you ever worked the land, Sir Peter? Sir Valadane asked. I ain't no sir. Just a plain working stiff like the rest of my crew, Peter said. Ah, I see. I beg your pardon. 
I only assume because of your sword and the way you sat your horse, I meant no. You've got it, Peter said. What? My pardon? You asked for it? You got it? Oh, I, I see. Yes. Veladane said. He turned as someone tried to get his attention. If you'll excuse me for a moment. Valadane stepped to another part of the warehouse to speak to one of his men. The crew drank their cider. Though he clearly thought twice about it, Alabar spoke up. Excuse me, sergeant, but why do you speak to our host so? Eh? What do you mean? He means you bit the knight's head off. Now me, I'm not a big fan of fancy pants and fufara, but it just seems to me that Sir V is not so bad as all that, Raven said. I have me reasons, Peter muttered, his face turning red with anger. And what reasons might those be, Sergeant, to nearly break the rules of hospitality in your bitterness? Alabar asked. The red on Peter's face got worse. Ere now, Breacher, keep your all opinions to yourself. I said I had me reasons. I have done. I'm going to go see the factor, who's likely to tell me we'd be wasting money staying here. So don't get too attached to this place. It's just a port in the storm, not a vacation spot. A wave station, not the end. Aye, Sarge, we hear you. Still, while it rains, might as well enjoy the warm, Raven grinned. Peter nodded, the color just then starting to cool in his face. Okay, just remember what I said. Don't get too comfortable. I'll stick myself with a pin every so often, just so I don't relax, Sarge, Raven said, grinning. Smart ass, Peter said, and turned and walked away. I gotta go see the factor. And when did you figure that out? Raven said to the back of his head, as he strode long strides down the cider house to the loading dock, where the door stood open. The rain had already started again. Have a moment, Sergeant, whilst I warm up, Jurgen said, taking halting sips from the warmed mug of cider he'd been handed. While he waited, Peter turned and gazed out of the open cider house door, taking in the sights. The horses are all secure, Peter reported, running a hand through his blonde tangle. The stable hands are good here, I'll give them that. Peter looked around and saw that, in many ways, House Tenuvia was no different from the farms on which he was raised. The farmhands were slightly different. Instead of the broad-shouldered and bearded Yarian features, there were the graceful and wiry forms of the Lunargenti. He stood in the large open warehouse door of the cider house and watched the figures running back and forth through the rain and he knew that the word was spreading about their arrival. Gossip traveled extremely fast. So Peter wasn't surprised when, one by one, people began arriving to see them. The first was an Arandani woman of considerable bosom and shining chestnut hair. A blonde, younger Arandani female stood off to the side. "'Good day, madam,' Jurgen said, smiling, and setting down his mug of cider to greet her. "'Good day, in fact, dear Colesblood. I was told that you'd arrived, and that you're depending on the hospitality of the Count. May I introduce myself? I am Dame Eunice 
Stonax, the seneschal of the county. Damunus, it is very good to meet you. Long have I heard stories of the brave Stonax warriors. You must be proud of your ancestors. Indeed, we are, Eunice said, her smile warming to the factor. Factor Colesplot, I realize you and yours have claimed right of hospitality here in Tenuviel House, but I think that while you are here, you personally might be best served by the hospitality of my fief house. We have a small Arandani enclave here within the boundaries of Tenuviel. We call it Shallowdale. It's not far from here. An Arandani enclave? Here? Jurgen looked surprised. The brunette Arandani matron nodded, smiling. We are not that far from Northport Town, my lord, and indeed this is on the road north to Irontown, as you well know. Jorgen looked thoughtful. Aye, indeed. That happens to be our destination. It's true. He brightened. How fortunate to find countrymen in this wilderness. But I don't think... Eunice smiled. He'll be wanting a hot bath, some fresh Vardé bread, and sleep on a duffel down. So now you'll come with me, Factor Coldsblood, won't you? Jorgen began again. Uh, as to that, I have a duty to my, uh, load, uh, to make certain... Eunice smiled and indicated the stable yard. Nonsense. Our people have taken care of everything. There are armed soldiers watching your caravan just to make sure no one tampers with it. Now surely you won't deny the daughters of Shallowdale any longer, will you? Jurgen coughed once. <laughs> Excuse me? Eunice placed her hands on her hips. Factor Coldsblood, you know very well that we rarely get Irandani visitors. All of our eligible girls will be interested in meeting the young Factor. Understand that we do not have permission to breed with anyone from here. So closely bred we've become. So our girls must find fellows elsewhere. You have a duty as an Irandani, sir. This last pronouncement was followed up with a finger-wag. Raven had wondered over at this point, overhearing, and she and Peter both grinned at the factor's predicament. Peter spoke up at that point. Uh, 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 as to that, sir, you need to um, go be with your countrymen. Don't worry about a thing here. Uh, the load will keep. The rain's so bad we couldn't make way anyway. Probably not three or four days. Three or four days? That's preposterous! Jorgen began, turning back to Peter. Eunice smiled broadly. Oh, yes, we're going to need at least five or six days, I should think. We'll send messengers to the enclaves at Verdun and Dun Creek. I'm sure they'll want to meet you as well, back to Colesblood. That's quite an operation you got there, ma'am, if I may say, Peter said, smiling. Oh, yes, we've planned and practiced for this possibility, Eunice said, smiling. Jorgen's eyebrows knitted at this point. Possibility? Did my uncle have anything to do with this? He couldn't have known we were heading this way. Our, our original road had us going up by the Blackpool route, not the Lunar Genti. Do not think we jest, Mr. Colesblood. 
This is serious business, the Sunshal said solemnly. Jurgen turned to leave. As much as I'd love to, lady, this is a business. I have to... Eunice interposed herself, forcing him to confront her as if she were an iron mantlet. Mr. Coldsblood, your horses have come here with splits and injuries. Your carts are ramshackle and in need of repair. Your people are bruised and bloodied with one dead. You need to rest, sirrah, and you will do it comfortably at my home. Now, no more complaints. You're coming with me. Say farewell to your men. Jurgen mustered up the last vestiges of resistance. But I... I... Eunice crossed her arms under her formidable breasts. Mr. Coldsblood, please, don't make me send a letterbox message to your dam, explaining that you've shunned Stonax hospitality. You wouldn't! Jurgen was shocked. Eunice's eyes narrowed. Just watch me, Mr. Coldsblood. Just watch me. At that point, Jurgen held up a hand. Fine, fine, I give. Please, I'll go quietly. But after we send my drover to his rest. She nodded once, and her previous smile bloomed once again on her face. Done. Then she looked rueful. "'Tis a shame about your driver, Bloodbirds, worst kind of creature. Then, brightening again, she ushered the young Arandani woman forward. "'Well, and this is Miranda Ironwind, my niece. Mr. Colesblood, say hello, Miranda.' Miranda giggled and blushed, but said nothing, really. Eunice nodded perfunctorily. "'Well, isn't that sweet? I'll leave you two to talk until the funeral.' "'Farewell now,' the seneschal said, turned and departed. Soon she was stomping off through the muddy paths of Tenuvio, oblivious to the rain. Do you wish to sweet walk? I have me rain cloak, if you wish, Miranda said, blushing and showing him an oilskin cloak with a hood that might just cover them both. Hold on a moment, Miss Miranda, Jurgen said, and turned back to Peter. Sergeant? Motioning him a bit further away from Miranda, Peter finished off his mug of cider with one gulp, wiping off his face with his sleeve. Oh, no, you needn't say a word, Mr. Coldsblood. Think nothing of it. We'll be happy to park here. We get paid either way, do we not? Jurgen looked at him a bit helplessly. But I... can you... We wouldn't think of interrupting your reunion with your countrymen, Mr. Coldsblood, Raven said. She leaned in and whispered conspiratorially to him. She's rather fetching, isn't she, Factor? Not a bad catch, I'd say. Jurgen looked back at the blonde. Well, if you think so, I, I suppose... Think nothing of it, to be sure, Mr. Factor. We've no wish to get you in trouble with your mom, Peter said, grinning. Jurgen rolled his eyes and sighed. Well, and it's just that... Raven turned and pushed him gently back toward Miranda. Go on, lover boy. You got your shot. Don't mess it up. Be nice to her. Go on. Looking back once and nodding in a somewhat baleful fashion, the factor let himself be guided off. He went with the look of a condemned man. Peter turned to Raven. Well, now that's something, isn't it? 
You can say that again. I almost feel sorry for him, Raven said, grinning. You're getting soft? Peter scoffed. No, it's just that I'm finally out of the thrice damn drain, Raven said, sighing. Together the two soldiers fell silent to take in the sights of the sheets of thick, heavy rain. It wasn't long until some household staff, pages and valets, arrived to take the company to their bedchambers for the night. The full hospitality of the house meant that they all had their own room, though the males seemed to be segregated from the females by a floor of the house, a floor joined by a spiral staircase. With fine Lunargenti woven blankets, more warm cider and hot tea, and braziers of hot coals in the rooms, Everyone was soon feeling much warmer and drier, and the warmth brought sleepiness to Raven and Chandra. Peter got his duffel unstuffed and laid out in his room, and Alabar was about to do the same when Holiness Malayan came to collect him. Come with me, brother, and we will look to heal your minstrel, she said, smiling. Uh, yes, well, Holiness Malayan, but I, uh, Alabar was trying to explain that he'd exhausted his energies earlier in the day, but her merry eyes would have none of it. Call me Mariel. Malion is my church name. First, we'll stop at the chapel, and you may pray. Then, we'll go to the healing hall to see your Wunjo friend. As you wish, Holiness. As you wish, Mariel. And you may call me Alabar. Alabar felt somewhat self-conscious, praying in front of the priestess, knowing as he did that his own church and hers had at one point in the far distant past split into two separate churches. It had been so long ago that most people did not know that the Alorian and Aurelian traditions had once been intertwined completely. Soon, though, he felt the indwelling of the light again. It streamed down into his soul, Drinking it in was as satisfying as the taste of the cider had been. Certainly he was not as completely ready as he might have been. Had he a night's sleep and a full measure of prayer in a temple dedicated to Aelor. But he felt good enough to do what must be done. It wasn't long before the two were walking under covered walkways in the rain, moving from the temple house to the healing hall. You have an entire building dedicated to the healing arts. This reminds me of Rutherkin, sister, Alvar said, smiling. Mariel smiled. But of course, the precepts of Gala require a separate place for healing for the good of all. Alvar smiled and nodded. Ah, yes, the precepts, of course. I hadn't realized that folk outside the monastery were following those. Is it common practice now? Absolutely. We follow all standard precepts and colloquies, Brother Alipar. They are just common sense. They paused before the hall's door. Common sense isn't, my dear. Things have gotten much worse in my land. You could be burned as a heretic if you started espousing certain beliefs in the land of my birth, Alibar said ruefully. Mariel paused 
concern showing on her face. You don't think Bathurka Abbey would be threatened, do you? Albar sighed. I have to tell you something, but I would rather tell you later. Suffice it to say that all that Rotherkin stands for still holds for us. I see. Yes. Well, we'll have to talk about that, brother. I do want to know more. Light go with you, and with them. Alabar nodded softly, smiling. Mariel opened the hall door and stepped in, smiling at children who were resting here with fevers, stepping past them to some of the elder folk who were in a few beds with the maladies of old age, and walked past a farmhand who'd accidentally stuck an iron nail through his foot, checking on the foot's progress after the healing it had already received. Finally they came to Arin, who lay peacefully where the stable hands had laid him. Arin looked restive, calm, but not altogether comfortable. Ah, here's your friend, the minstrel preacher. Greetings, Master Arin. Oh, I'm no aster, but thank you all the same. I've no idea what you did to me before they moved me, Lady Mariel, but I can tell you that I can no longer feel anything on my leg. It's somewhat disconcerting, but pleasant all at the same time. Well, clearly you have been sorely hurt, Arin. We want to make sure you're not in too much pain. Mariel gingerly reached out to touch the foot, her small hands probing the injury. A brutal break, Arin. Alabar, do you feel here, where the bones of the ankle are completely shattered? You're quite lucky you're in the hands of true healers, my lord, because otherwise you may never walk again. Oh, indeed, Alabar agreed. In fact, in the countryside of Yar, you would probably already have been amputated. But let's put aside such horrors. Holiness, would you like to work together to heal this man? Absolutely, brother. Mariel came closer to Alabar and held his hand. Pulling him close to her, she kissed him full on the mouth, an act which so surprised him that he nearly fell over on top of Arin. She released him almost immediately, and the red blush of his face and his stiff posture showed Arin why. I, I'm not accustomed. Oh, Brother Alabar, I, I had no idea. You, you didn't... Well... In our craft of healing among Oriel, it, it is one way we harmonize our energies before we begin. Of course, no offense taken. I was just surprised, you see, and I uh, i had read that the Aurelian Church does. Well, I had thought all about those stories. Love rites in the temple were more hyperbole, the dreamings of sordid old men. Alabar's face was fiercely crimson. Oh, well, no, they're absolutely true. The great rite is something we hold sacred. But I don't want you to think that our temples are bordellas. Far from it. Although it's true, many courtesans and other love artists come to the temple of the lady for blessing and healing. For the most part, the ritual love-making in the temple takes place only between the higher circles of clergy. You needn't worry, Scholar Alabar. I am much chagrined for doing that which you clearly did not desire. 
Arn grinned. <laughs> it's not like you didn't like it, your holiness. Why, Brother Alibar, is it true what they say about your cloister types, that you've not yet known a woman? That's quite a personal question, Arn. Alibar managed, but his face grew somehow redder. He turned to Mariel. I wonder, would it be against the precepts to remove the pain block you put on him? Ha! Struck a nerve, did I? Thought as much. So you see, Lady Mariel, you're working with something of a blank slate in that department, Aaron said, grinning. Mariel chuckled, clucking her tongue, but she just leaned forward and touched Aaron's forehead. Enough of the teasing, Lord Aaron. Time for sleep. But I... was all he could manage before sleep took him, his eyes fluttering closed, and his breathing slowing to a gentle, regular pattern. Now, Brother Alibar, do you think you could tell me how we might both harmonize our energies in the fashion you're familiar with? Mariel said, smiling. Alibar cleared his throat and nodded. Yes, allow me to touch your hand if you don't mind. Of course. Mariel took Alibar's hand. Despite the awkwardness of the situation, Alibar could not help but notice how small her hand was and how soft her skin. It was a distracting detail, but he was able to ignore his bashfulness and extend his light to her. He felt her take in some of his light and give some of her own, and a surprisingly easy link grew up instantly between them. He instantly felt the disparity in their energies, his still recovering from the night before, hers fulsome and potent still. Without words, they collaborated, and despite his initial resistance to her methods, he found working with her to be quite pleasing. He felt her feeding him some of her light, felt her equalizing their two workings. It was not long after that they both stood before Arin not as two individuals, but as a single healer the light manifesting through both of them at once. For a moment, Alibar thought he could see the world from her perspective and imagined she could see things from his. He felt all of her personality, her spirit, soar through him for a moment and was amazed at the depth of her soul, the beauty of her nature. He nearly gasped as he realized what a wonderful person she was and how deeply she was devoted to her craft as a healer, her path as a priestess, her love as a woman. His blush deepened, not lessened. For a moment, he held his breath as he wondered what effect his light was having on her, but that moment quickly passed. Mariel didn't make reference to what they'd shared. Instead, she just bent to the healing work with smiling eyes. She started by directing healing through touch to the specific bones in the ankle, while Alibar held her other hand and stabilized the flow. Alibar's free hand sent healing energy to reduce the swelling. Mariel held the ankle gingerly, making sure that it was lined up with Arin's leg as she supervised the knitting of bones and the reassembly of the cartilage and the support structure of muscle for the ankle. Together the healers worked for a solid hour on the injury, and it wasn't long after that before the swollen, broken ankle was completely healed. The only sign that it had been broken were a few purple bruises. Sealing off her work, 
Mariel smiled and released Arin. That will do, I think, she said. She looked as though she'd been running. Alibar felt tired himself as well. Bending over him, Mariel touched Arin's forehead and released him from sleep. Lord Arin, it is time for you to rouse. With a snort he awoke, his eyes fluttering open to the beautiful and winsome priestess. What? Where? Where? He said. Then he saw where he was and remembered. Ah! He wiggled his ankle. You fixed it? It will be a little sore. You do understand that it was very badly hurt, don't you? Mariel asked. Yes, I understand, but it doesn't hurt. It feels strong. Yes, and as long as you don't break it again, you should be just fine, Mariel said, smiling at him. You should feel up to attending the Kaylee we're having tonight. Kaylee? What, what's that? Alabar said, other than the Lunar word for dance. Oh, it's a party with music and dancing. There has been one called in honor of your arrival, and as a way to honor the wake of your dead. It is not every day we get to extend the hospitality of the house to visitors from out of the kingdom. And of course, minstrel, we will want to hear how you play, if you are feeling up to it, that is. I feel certain that something can be arranged. Thank you much, Holiness, Mariel. Ba'en ba'al banath. In my tongue it means, may the luck follow you always. Ah, thank you for that. But Brother Alabar also assisted in the healing. Now I think you should sleep for a time. Your crew member's funeral is soon. Ah, yes, ma'am. I shall do as you wish. Thank you again. Brother, if you'd like, we could return to the chapel to pray. I do hope you won't mind taking the guest priest's quarters there, Mariel said softly. Yeah, yes, of course. Thank you. Yes, I would like that, Alabar smiled. Arin's eyes lit up at that, smiling at Mariel, but Alabar didn't see that exchange. Excellent. Sleep now, minstrel, Mariel said, reaching out and touching Arin's forehead again, and he went back to sleep right away. Alabar and Mariel left the healing hall arm in arm. Dov held a small leather-bound book in his hands, and had cleared his eyes of tears so that he could see to read. The Leaves of Sidal was the book of prayer nearly every Sidalian carried with him, and he opened it to the right for burial, resolving to keep his voice clear and steady in the afternoon gloom. Newly healed, Arn stood beside him with his lute, playing softly. Alabar had worked with Dov and Mariel to arrange things for the ceremony, going in turn to each person needed and allowing Dov to rest and grieve. The rest of the crew stood here, rain having stained their clothes and dampened their hearts. They stood in an open-air outdoor shelter made of mortared stone with a roof chimney, a safe place for burning in order to protect the trees of County Tenuvia. The sun was high overhead, somewhere beyond the storm clouds. 
Rains continued to pour down outside the shelter, but inside it was reasonably dry, if a bit cool. Gar had been arranged on a bier with as much dried firewood as could be produced. He was wrapped in his green sleep cloak. His eyes were peacefully shut, and he appeared to be only sleeping. Dov began to read from the book. These are the words of Saint Sidal, who brought us out of confusion and scatterment, and put us on the path to our home in the forest, and she bade us to care for our dead quickly, and without much pretense, as she reminded us that our bodies are but the rind of us, and that within us is what truly matters, the seeds of the light. Dov looked up at that and smiled. Now I'm supposed to say something about him. He was a quiet man and well-loved by his kin. A good shot with a weir bow. He knew his horse as well. He kept his promises. He never did talk much, but uh, I miss him already. Is there anybody else wants to say something? He was a true friend of the Velisti, Arn spoke. I did his job well, no complaints. We avenged him on his killer, Peter said. I liked his cooking, Raven said. I wish he hadn't died, Chandra said, tears on her cheeks. He was our brother in the light, Alabar said. He who is remembered lives, Mariel said. Aye, it is so, Dob said, nodding, and opened the book again. Sidel told us that we are to burn our dead, to send their souls to the light, and make their bodies ash for the land. We commend God to the keeping of Sidel, and the bosom of the light, now and for always. May it be so. Dov said softly, and nodded to Chandra. Bringing up her newly found power, Chandra felt her flames pour out of her hands. Building in strength and intensity, the fires soon began roaring, and another roar went up when the pine boughs caught fire. The burning was quick and thorough, and most of those in attendance watched intently, for the glare covered Gar's body like a shroud. Showers of sparks flew up through the chimney and the shelter's roof, the black of a thousand previous fires touched by the licking flames. They stood for a while as the cremation continued, and Dov came to his crew, his friends, and they drew him into hugs and embraces. It wasn't long before they were just cooling ashes left in the fire pit, ashes that Dov would collect in the morning. Finally, Mariel came to the Sidalian teamster. Master Dov, I must tell you that it has come to the notice of the Tenuviel that your crewmate has died and must be mourned. As part of our hospitality and in the way of honoring him, would you consent to allowing us to throw a Kaylee in his name? We will dance, play, and feast in the wake of his passing. What say you? Dav looked to Peter, first for confirmation, but then turned back to the priestess. I am That would... That would be proper. And so shall it be, Master Dav. 
Will you sit at the high table with us? I did not know your cousin, but every Sidalian I know has been a joy to me, and I can only guess what a joy he was to you. I, I will, just I, I need the time here to collect my thoughts. The Kaili will wait the setting of the sun, Master Dov, in any event. Do you come to feast with us then? I will, I will, Holiness, thank you, Dov said, managing a wan smile. Mariel curtsied, and then signaled to the guard tower from where she stood. The tower bell began to ring, first one short and then two long chimes, calling out to the fief. As each tower heard its brother's bell, it responded with yet another just the same, so that the message was passed along the border of fief Tenuviel. And throughout the land, which called itself Tenuviel, as the ashes of the fallen blended with the healing spring rain, all those who heard the bell smiled in recognition. Akali had been called. Kralg, the albino Ogrim sorcerer in the mayor's employ, had learned a long time ago to be very, very sure about his orders, and then to always execute them with dispatch and fine attention to detail. This is why he had called for and received the use of a ceremonial magic chamber in the mayoral palace. This is why runners had been sent to the vaults to retrieve two principal soul foci. And this is also why Krog had engaged the services of several of the heavier members of the town watch, their fire halberds poised at the ready. Krog knew who he was about to summon, knew that he would not be proof against their rage and power. So he worked to protect himself. His steady preparation and efficient practice meant that the summoning, when it was released to do its work, was not only effective, but quick and mostly silent. A flare of hard gray light nearly blinded them all, and then there were two figures in the ritual ward that weren't there before, one short, the other tall. They both looked as though they had been pulled through a very small hole, because that is precisely what the summons did to them, pulled their bodies through a mystic connection to this place, this room, this time. The mayor was already striding into the chamber as the gray light died and revealed the men now transported. "'Good day, gentlemen,' the mayor said quietly, addressing Sneeve and Leonard. "'Good day, Your Honor,' they both said in unison. "'Could you have possibly fucked this up any further, I'm wondering?' "'Well, actually, as to that, Your Honor,' Sneeve began, "'shut up!' The smaller man's mouth closed with an audible click. Flaw made a simple gesture, and it was then that Sneeve felt as though his hand was about to rip itself off his wrist and sail through the air. It burned with an unholy fire, and he clutched it as if it were a dying hope. He saw the mark of his life-bond burn away, saw it erase itself in a hateful flare of black-red fire, leaving behind only a burn mark in its former shape. Sneeve turned to look at Leonard to see if the hyena man was getting the same treatment, but the tall one stood silent, unharmed. Now, Mr. Sneeve, you may go back to your smoke shop and serve the masters well, and if you are a very, 
Very good boy. I will not have my men cut you up and feed you to Leonard piece by piece. But what about the deadbait, Your Honor? Sneeve said through the still burning pain. You failed me. Now others will take your place. We will get the money back. Now, go, Mr. Sneeve, and don't darken my door again, the mayor said, and turned his back on the man, walking out with his pearl-tipped staff, Kralg and his retinue following directly after. When everyone but them had left, Sneeve turned to Leonard. Come on, Leonard. I'm tired. Let's go home and get some sleep. Leonard nodded, stretching and yawning like a dog. Right, boss. Let's go. You've been listening to Heart of the Hunter, a Coronai Chronicles story. Heart of the Hunter is brought to you by the Fireheart Foundry family of podcasts. Fireheart Foundry also produces Fledgling, a Leaden Universe science fiction novel by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. The Bears Grove Podcast. Dragonkin, the podcast for kids in gaming. The Square One Podcast. And Vibrant Living. Find out more about the Fireheart Foundry at fireheartfoundry.com. This podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons Attribution, No Derivatives, No Commercial Use, License 2.5. Music is provided by the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening, and we invite you back to our fire real soon.